Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And I'll be reading all of Acts 10 and a good portion of Acts 11 as well, down to verse 18. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing." For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you see, whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with 
or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree." Him God raised up on the third day and, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. 
At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we've been going through now the book of Acts for a few months. And we saw back in the beginning that before Jesus ascended, he had given his disciples, his apostles, a command. And that is to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And in that was the promise that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that they would want to be witnesses of him. And in that promise, when they would be witnesses of him, he gave them a specific geological, uh, geographical, if you would, progression of how that would happen. They would become witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea. Then the gospel would spread to Samaria. Then the gospel would spread to the uttermost part of the world or to the ends of the earth. And so we saw immediately there in Pentecost, right, that the gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem because all the Jews had come to Jerusalem for for Pentecost. And then, then they began to go in the region around Jerusalem, which was Judea. But then we saw how when Saul of Tarsus began to persecute the church, the church began to spread. The church began to to move out. And in the moving out, Philip went to Samaria, and he proclaimed the gospel. And the Samaritans received the word. They received the truth. But it wasn't until Peter was sent from Jerusalem that it was affirmed that, in fact, the Samaritans had received that word, that truth. And so he and John laid hands on them. They received in some manner, the Holy Spirit, okay? And so the gospel was at that moment affirmed to have gone from Jerusalem and all Judea into Samaria. Last week, when we were beginning this part, this little section on Peter at the end of chapter 9, and then here in 10 and 11, we did a quick review on the importance of Peter coming through there, okay? And I want to just kind of remind you of the importance of Peter here, because it's Peter who is the one who gives the affirmation of, as the witness, okay, uh, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, his death, burial, resurrection, his payment for his sins, is actually being sent forth from here, okay? So it was Peter proclaiming it at Pentecost. It was Peter who went to Samaria. But Peter, we know, is also to the Jews, okay? Between what happened in Samaria and us talking about Peter now, there was a significant event. What was the significant event? 
Say it again. The calling of Saul. The conversion of Saul. Okay? That Saul, the persecutor, becomes Saul, the evangelist. And in the call of Saul, when Ananias goes to, to Saul, he's, Saul is informed that God has a purpose for him. That he's going to be the one who's going to take the gospel to the end of the earth. He's going to be, if you would, the apostle to the Gentiles. But that's still to come. God's going to still use Peter as the one who's going to validate. The one to whom everybody's going to point to to say, no, it was actually Peter that God fulfilled us. So from all, from Jerusalem and all Judea to Samaria and now to the, the Gentiles. But it's going to be Peter who does that. So last week, we began looking at how Peter was going forth, right? And Peter was just kind of hanging out in his region and, and, and teaching. But God began to move him. But God began to guide him and instruct him. And today we're going to pick it up in that account because now he's in, in Joppa, right? So let's get there with the visions, okay? First we see Cornelius. As we'll come back to Peter in a moment. First we're introduced to Cornelius, okay, in his vision. And Cornelius, we're told about his description, that he was a centurion of the intelligent... Intelligent regiment. Anyways, the Italian regiment, not necessarily the intelligent regiment. Anyways, but he's from the the, the Italian regiment, okay, the Italian battalion. And um, what's important about that is that, A, he is um, a man of distinction, okay, but he's also in a unit of great distinction, okay, called the Italian regiment for a reason. These are all Romans. These are all Italians. Rome did as all the other nations did when they, when they conquered. They took their soldiers and they added them to their, their own units, right? But this unit was a special unit. These were loyalists. They were Romans. It's kind of hard to entrust yourself to ones you have conquered. Does that make sense? Caesarea was a very important city. It's where the, those who were reigning, so when we see with Agrippa... Agrippa and Festus and stuff, they're going to be there. Their, their throne, if you would, their, their place of, of government was going to be in Caesarea. Um, Pilate chose to hang out in, in uh, Jerusalem at times, okay? But he would still have a place down in Caesarea as well, okay? So this is an important place, an important position. This is an important man, okay? He's a centurion. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not going to touch on this, and I'm taking a lot of time on it. But once, I, I want to do a message on centurions, okay? It's kind of fun to me how God has worked through the lives of many centurions. The first centurion that we're introduced to is who? The centurion of? Oh, you guys, come on. Bible knowledge. Capernaum, okay? Yeah, his hometown's Nazareth, but he has an adopted hometown of Capernaum, okay? So he's in Capernaum. So we see the, 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 um, the um, centurion of Capernaum who asked Jesus to go, to, to, well, not even go, to heal his servant, right? And Jesus says, I'll come. And he says, no, 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 you don't have to come. You just say the word, and I know my servant's going to be healed. That's a Roman centurion. That's not, and Jesus says, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. There's more faith in this Roman centurion who's not supposed to be a believer. Think of another 
Roman centurion that has a, such great faith? Say again. No, he wasn't a centurion. That was a, uh, that was a rabbi or a, a church, a synagogue ruler. Okay. Yes, the centurion at the foot of the cross, right? Surely this must be the Son of God, right? So one version says that, another one says a, a righteous man. But the point is he recognizes that God is doing something, that something's happening while all the Jewish leaders are what? Sticking their heads in the sand and they're rebuking and they're, they're mocking. This Roman centurion gets it. He gets what's going on. A lot of fun, okay, when you start to think about how God is working these guys. So I, there's sometimes I wonder to myself, is this one of those two? I'd like to write a story once and make all three of those centurions the same guy. Okay? I don't know. Okay? But I wonder. I mean, this, this is a phenomenal thing because this guy was a Roman. He wasn't just taken and become part of it, but he's a Roman. What do you know about Roman religion? Who did they worship? Caesar. Caesar. They had emperor worship. They also had a pantheon of gods, you know, the, the Roman gods and the Greek gods that were blended together, okay? So he could have been a pantheist. He could have been an emperor worshiper. That's what he's supposed to be, right? But what do we know about this guy? He's a man devoted to God, the one true God. And so we see he's devout, fears God. He gives charitable gifts to the people. We'll come back to that. He prays always. And as we know from later on, he doesn't just pray always. He does what? He fasts. In fact, it's while he's fasting that the angel appears to him. This is pretty impressive. This is a, a Gentile, an unclean, common individual, okay, who shouldn't have no purpose in this at all. But he has seen the truth in the one true God. And he's worshiping him. The people is an important thing too. Because not only is, is he fearing God, right? He's, he's worshiping the one true God, fearing God, praying to God. But he's giving alms. He's giving gifts, donations to Jews. The people. He doesn't need to do it to his own unit. Because they're paid very well. They're the Italian regiment. And so, the term, the people, generally speaking, biblically, is always used to refer to the Jews. So, this Roman centurion, not just a Roman soldier, so he's not a Jew who was taken as a slave and made into a soldier. Does that make sense? This Roman soldier is worshiping the Lord so much that he's donating to the very people that the Romans looked down on. Just as the Jews would look down on the Samaritans, the Romans would look down on the Jews as just a vile group of people who were just always fighting and stuff like that. And they had to be there to try to hold down all the rabble-rousers. But he's worshiping God. And so it's this individual who God sends an angel to. This is really kind of cool. And he sends him an angel and says to him, Cornelius... Your prayers and your alms have come up before God. Do you ever go through life thinking that God doesn't really know what you're doing? Or that they're meaningless or that maybe your prayers and your, your Christian service, quote unquote, is meaningless to God? Doesn't mean anything? Read this passage a thousand times. Put it to heart. 
Your prayers and your alms have come up to God. They are an odor of a sweet smell. I know it doesn't say that, but you can take that from Philippians chapter 4, where Paul's talking about the, the, the gifts of the Philippians. They're like an odor of a sweet smell for God. God wants us to offer our bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Do you get it? And when we do it, when we really do it, it is a beautiful thing to God. Makes you wonder what the other side is, huh? Yeah. And so God looks at this Gentile. He's not one of his own people, quote unquote. But he sees that this man really fears God, really fears him. He really loves him. He really serves him. And he's proving that by giving of his, his funds to him. So he sends him the angel. And the angel gives him a specific task. It's pretty simple. Send for Peter. <laughs> he doesn't know who Peter is, but I want you to send the Joppa. There's a guy named Shimon, Simon, who's surnamed Peter, Petros. He's going to be staying at the house of Shimon the Tanner. And so I want you to send, and send for him. And, and when he comes, he'll tell you what you need to hear. Why can't you just tell me what I need to hear? Do you ever wonder that? I mean, God's talking to him, right? Sent an angel. Why couldn't the angel just tell him what he needed to hear? But God wanted to work through men, didn't he? Isn't that kind of cool? So God sends the angel, says, send. So what does is, what is Cornelius, the Gentile, do? He immediately does it. He immediately does it. He grabs two guys, two of his servants, and he takes a soldier, and then he tells them specifically what he has seen and what he's supposed to do, and he entrusts the message to them. Now, I don't know who this soldier is, but that makes me kind of stop as well, thinking about, you know, now he's got one of his troops that he's letting know that he's not an emperor worship worshiper, right? And he's sending him to do his duty, right? So they go to Peter. Well, in the meantime, Peter's having a vision, right? And so there's Peter with his vision. And first of all, we see the site is in Joppa. How did he get to Joppa? Well, via the guidance of God. God was, was moving him through there, right? And so where specifically do we see him? We see him on the, the roof. And what's he doing on the roof? He's praying, continually to seek the guidance of God. Isn't that kind of cool? God's guiding him. And in the midst of God guiding him, he's what? Seeking God's guidance. How often do you pray? Seeking God's guidance. Again, the two guys we're talking about right now who had these visions, and I'm not promising you God's going to give you visions because you're going to pray, right? But these two guys that God is using and interacting with have the one thing in common, and that is what? They're praying. They're spending time in prayer. How much time do you spend in prayer? When God wakes you up in the middle of the night, it's a great time to pray. Or you can sit there in anguish that you can't get back to sleep. Oh, I can't get back to sleep. Oh, God, this is awful. You were praying, right? Anyways, and so, but no. Why did God wake you up? Have you ever woke up and, and you have the most random thought? You're thinking of somebody in, in the secular realm. Maybe it might be a movie star, or, and it's not lustfully. You get what I'm saying. I mean, just whatever, okay? And you're like, well, where did that thought come from? Well, immediately, maybe God put it in your brain so you can pray for that individual. I mean, I don't, in my brain right now, Brad Pitt comes to my mind. I have no idea. I don't watch Brad Pitt movies. But Brad Pitt runs in my mind, maybe because I'm saying something about Hollywood or whatever. But at that moment, if I woke up and Brad Pitt comes to my mind, I'm going to pray for Brad Pitt. 
I don't know why. It doesn't matter why. Does God want Brad Pitt to come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior? He does. And maybe God's using me with a thousand other people that he woke up at that very moment to pray for Brad Pitt in a, in a specific moment where Brad Pitt's going to hear the gospel. Or maybe he heard it and he's thinking about it. And the Holy Spirit's working on him. I don't know how that works. I can tell you, years ago, years ago, previous church, I was only there for one year. One year. Some of you heard the story. I'm not going to go through the whole story. But there was a, a, a moment, and I, basically I thought I was going to be out. And, um, but the next morning, okay, so there's anguish all night. Next morning, I got a call from a guy in St. Louis who I'd met during Desert Storm duty. And that we became spiritually bonded together. It was exciting. His name was Ricky. And, and Ricky called me next morning. He says, Bob, what is going on? He says, God has been racking me with you all night. I've been praying for you all night. And he actually got on the phone and, asked other, and had other people praying for me. Isn't that kind of cool? Um, because clearly something was happening and they needed to be praying for me. And I said, well, you just never know. So I, I won't go into the whole story of it. But isn't that kind of cool? I mean, I've been a recipient of that. Okay? So I understand. That's very important. So in those moments, don't take them as, oh, this, you are a soldier in God's army. If you know him as your personal savior, it's a spiritual war that you've enlisted to be a part of. And God holds the right to and call you into his presence whenever he chooses to. Yes? Okay? So, now that doesn't prohibit you from actually having planned times to get into his presence, okay? So I would encourage you every morning to have a planned time to get into his presence. Start the day off in the presence of God. Praying, reading his word, meditating upon his truth, okay? I promise you the day changes. In the Jewish way, they would have three times a day that they would pray. They had their hours of prayer. And we read that from Cornelius, right? That Cornelius was praying in the ninth hour when, when the, uh, he was fasting, when the, when the angel comes to him, okay? Because that was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That was a time of prayer. So he's praying at the time of prayer, okay? Even though he's a Gentile, he gets it. He's doing it, okay? Peter is getting ready for lunch, okay? But it's noon. It's the sixth hour. It's also a time of prayer, Okay? And so he's praying. He went up onto the roof so he could pray. Okay? While they're, they're preparing lunch for him, he's going to go up onto the roof. He's not going to waste time. He's going to what? He's going to pray. What do you do, do to waste time? I waste too much time. Relaxation is impo- important. I get that. So I'm not telling you that there never should be any time for relaxation. But I think we hide. I hide. We hide. I'm going to share the wealth. We hide. Okay? Behind that statement. Prayer is critical within the kingdom of God. God wants us to be a part of that process. I don't get it. I don't understand how it plays out. I really don't. I haven't been in the heavenly realms. I haven't seen how that plays out. All I know is God wants me to do it. And for somehow it, it works there. Okay? So Peter's doing it. Well, while he's doing that, while he's praying, he sees a vision. Three times. Peter is three times, right? Right? Peter, do you love me? Be my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Be my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Why? Why do you think everything's in threes? It's hard headed. Yeah, he gets it. I am Peter. 
Can you say that? I mean, can you, I mean, do you get it? I mean, there, you, you're like Peter sometimes. I mean, I, I've got to be smashed up against the wall like multiple times in for me to say, okay, God, okay, God, okay, God, I got it. You know? And so three times the sheet is let down. The unclean animals are on it, the four-footed beasts, the, the creeping things of the earth, right? And, and, and he's told by a heavenly voice three times, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, as a good Jew, says what? No, 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 I can't do that. I mean, that's like unclean stuff. And I have never... He's a, he's a Galilean fisherman. This is pretty impressive. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, he's a Galilean fisherman, and, and the first time he sees Jesus, and Jesus you know, tells him to throw down the net, and he gets his big haul, he says, what, depart from me, for I'm a what? I'm a sinner. He understood who he was, right? And yet here he is at this moment saying, I've never allowed anything into my mouth. That ought to be a conviction to you by itself. It is to me. I've never allowed anything unclean or common into my mouth. Don't call what I call clean, unclean. Three times. Visions go away. He's up on the what? The roof. So at the same moment, he sees this vision. The vision goes away. I think it probably is one of these boom, boom, boom moments, right? So he's up there. This happens, right? The vision goes away. I think the next thing he hears is the voice of the guys down on the road, on the, on the street. He's on the roof, guys. Okay? So put yourself in, the, in, in, in where he's at. Okay? These guys come to the door, banging on the door. And they're yelling, you're talking, hey, you know, is there a guy named here, Simon, surnamed Peter? They don't go into detail of why they're there. All Peter hears is up on the roof is what? There's some guys looking for Simon Peter. There's an inquisition happening. Are, are you remembering that? Wouldn't it be kind of interesting to know, wonder what Peter was thinking at the same moment? I mean, the first time he heard these voices of guys down there saying, you know, we're looking for some guy named Simon, surnamed Peter. And one of them's a what? <laughs> a soldier. <laughs> right? Was he peeking over the parapet? You know? <laughs> but at that moment, the same moment, what happens? The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, I've sent these men. I want you to rise, and I want you to go with them. Again, I, I don't know what Peter heard, what Peter didn't hear. Okay? I don't know if it was first Saul when he went downstairs and he sees the Roman soldier with these two guys. But he has every confidence to do what? To follow what God has instructed him to do. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. That's why I'm having these weird visions. I mean, I'm, I'm hungry enough to eat a, a horse. You get it? I'm hungry enough to eat unclean things. Oh, clearly, you know, I can't trust these visions because they're, they're as a result of the pepperoni pizza. I shouldn't have pepperoni. It's unclean. Anyways, you get what I'm saying? And so what does he say? He trusts that God is going to what? Speak to him. Do you trust, do you believe that God 
can speak to you? Isn't that why Jesus said he sent the Holy Spirit? To lead us into all truth? To instruct us? Do you believe he'll do what he says? I'm not saying he's going to give you a special revelation and we're supposed to write it in the Bible. Okay? But I do believe that God's going to burden you and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you if you're his. Peter saw the unclean thing. What did it mean? Well, simply, God told him what? Don't call unclean what I call clean. That's pretty simple. That's pretty basic. Don't do it. Well, how does it play out? First of all, we know there is a physical interpretation, which we'll get to when we get to Acts 15. Okay? Because the Gentiles don't have to eat according to the law. Okay? Paul later says... um, for everything that you you know that God gives you, give thanks for it, and you eat it. Right? Don't ask questions. You just eat it. Okay? We'll get there later. But the second side is what Peter is going to understand, what he's going to get, and that's the spiritual interpretation of it. Because he he goes back to this vision when he goes to Cornelius. He says, "God has shown me not to call unclean what He calls clean." God uses visions sometimes to teach us bigger truths. So when we get now to the conversions, the first thing we see is this message of Peter. And the very first part of this message of Peter is the impartiality of God. Now, before I get there, I want to, that that Peter opened his mouth part is kind of fun to me because, again, David made a comment after the, we talked about Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, that that was important to him. And I, that was really kind of cool that, again, God did it the second time. The first step in, in evangelism, the first step in doing anything is what? Open your mouth. Open your mouth! It's hard to evangelize if you're not willing to open your mouth. So Peter went with him. He opened up his mouth. And the first thing he declares is, what's very exciting to me, and I'm going to read it um, to you, he says, Peter says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, every nation. Now, I don't understand how this is going to play out. A lot of times, you know, we, we talk about what about the pygmy in Africa? What about this? What about what this? What about this? Okay. Get what Peter says right here. Okay. In every nation, whoever fears God, and so it says him, but he's referring back to God. Whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. Are you tracking with me on this one? Did, the, did Cornelius know about Jesus yet? Did, did Cornelius know about the death, burial, resurrection, and, and, and the, the propitiation, atonement of Christ right now? He doesn't know about it. But God is accepting him already. And Peter gives us a definition here. And I'm not afraid of it, y'all. I'm not afraid of this. Why? Because God's God. Salvation is always in the grace and plan of God. It's always what it's been. Even before Jesus died on the cross, people in the Old Testament didn't have to believe that God was going to come on the earth and he was going to die on the cross. He was going to raise on the third day. That's not what they had to believe in order to be saved. What did they believe? That God was the deliverer. That Yahweh was the deliverer. Is Yahweh the deliverer? 1%. And as we talked about in Sunday school, what did Yahweh do? He came to the earth. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. 
If someone truly is believing in the one true God and fearing him and serving him, what will happen when they hear about the fact that God came to the earth and died for them? They'll believe. Okay? Romans chapter 1, Paul declares that what may be known of God is revealed to every individual. Where? Say again? In nature. In creation itself. Even his very Godhead. That's kind of impressive, isn't it? That everyone on the face of the earth, whoever interacts with nature, whoever interacts with creation itself, is accountable to know that there's a what? A creator. Period. Exclamation point. Do you get it? When they stand before the throne, I don't know what all they're going to know and what they don't know. But what I do know is that a base knowledge is we didn't just evolve. That God has revealed himself in his very nature. So Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare... Yes. A lot of times I say Psalm 18 and I'm so wrong. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utters what? Speech. His very creation cries out. There is a creator. There is a designer. This didn't just happen. In every nation, every nation, those who understand that and fear him and seek to then live moral lives as a result of it, God will reveal himself. Do you believe it or not? Do you know why we need to send missionaries? So they have the full knowledge. They know the full love of God. This God that they worship? Many people don't, right? I get that. So they get that gospel. But for those, there are those who honestly, when the gospel comes to them, they're excited to hear it. Because it makes total sense to them that there is a creator God who would have done this. That's what they've believed all their life. I've heard stories from missionaries. All they had to do was open up their mouth and people were ready to believe. Because they already understood that. Now, clearly there's a lot of people who don't know. And so we want to tell them about Christ so they can be saved. But for those who already have this knowledge, for Cornelius, think about it. God's already sending him an angel. He's already accepting him. But he wants them to know the full truth. So he sends them to get Peter. So Peter can come and tell him the full truth. So he can rejoice in God all the way. Not just part of the way. He gets it all. When you go out and you evangelize, do you get it? This, this isn't a matter of you're telling somebody rotten stuff. You're telling them great stuff. This is exciting stuff. The secret of Yahweh is with those who fear him. He will show him his covenant. Do you believe it? I do. I really do. I want to know him more and more and more. I want to be set apart to him more and more. And I, I'm, I'm not telling you I'm not perfect. And I struggle with the same thing. But I, that's a promise that I believe. That God will reveal himself more and more. 
to those who fear him and who believe that he will. He says it in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that, that you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who believe that he exists and those who diligently seek him. I believe it. Now, partiality then. Are there people that you have a, you just don't want to be around? Whether it's because of their skin color, whether it's because of their nationality, whether it's because of their apparel, whether it's because of their hair color, whether it's because of whether they, they have gauges, they don't have gauges, or whether they have this and they don't have that. You get what I'm saying? Whether they got tats or they don't have tats? There's, we, we, we judge books by the cover all over the place. God doesn't. Every single individual is made in his image and likeness. Well, what's the message then that Peter declares? First of all, in his declaration, he declares that Jesus is the means of peace. And you have Romans chapter 1 on your sermon note sheet. You can look at that later. But in Christ, we have peace with God. He is God himself. And he wants to bring a reconciliation. He wants us to be able to come one with him. And so not just the Jews and Gentiles being having peace together in one in him, but for us to have peace with God. So he comes to do that. But he also then is the judge of the living and the dead. That's what Peter declares. Isn't it kind of interesting? Peter declares, this is what he's declaring to, to Cornelius, that this God came, Jesus came, to bring us peace with God, but he's also, God has revealed him to be the judge of the living and the dead, which means there's going to be a what? There's going to be a judge. And finally, he is, even best of all, the payment for our sins. So you can have this peace with this judge, because this judge came off the, the, the throne, right, off the stand and did what? Paid the penalty of your sin. Peter says that God attested all this through all the miracles that Jesus did. This goes along with what Jesus declared as well. I'm doing these things so that you may know, right? And so all these things are happening so that you might know that what he's done is true. So all of his miracles, but even more importantly, because of his what? His resurrection. That's the important part of the resurrection. I get the fact that it proves the payment over death, but more than anything else, it validates everything that Jesus did. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Well, then we have the work of the Holy Spirit. While Peter is speaking, while he's talking, just like what's going on at Pentecost, right? While he's speaking, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius, but not just Cornelius, everybody else that was there. See, Cornelius had gotten together when he knew what was going to happen Right? He went out. He wasn't afraid of this. He went out and he told everybody, come, come, come. I got a guy coming and telling me everything that God wants me to hear. I want you to hear it too. I want you to be here when I hear it. He's inviting everybody to hear the gospel. Reminds you of, the, um, of Matthew having a party for Jesus. When he invited all the tax collectors and the sinners, right? And the Pharisees are looking at Jesus saying what? What's he doing in there with the tax collectors and sinners? He didn't come to, to, the, to those who thought they were good. He came to those who knew that they needed to be healed. So, this brings everybody in, right? And the Holy Spirit falls upon them because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What's fun in here is two things, okay? You see the Word twice in here. The first time... When uh, it is according to the word of God, it's the word logos. But next time, it's the word rhema, okay, which is very important. So when we talk about God's word, 
this is the logos, right? Jesus is the living logos. But in, in uh, Romans 10 there, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it's not this. It's not logos. It's rhema. It's rhema. Because in order for people to hear, somebody needs to go and open their mouth. And out of their rhema, with the rhema, with the words that come out, the words, the rhema that I speak ought to be what? The logos. The message of God. Do you track? It's too fun for me. Peter's there to proclaim the logos, but he's doing it with his own mouth. Okay? And so, the work of the Holy Spirit, God uses man to proclaim the, whole, the, the word of God, right? And he comes upon them and, and falls upon them. Well, then we have this reaction of the Jews. First of all, by those who are present. How do they respond? Wow, this is amazing, right? They, they were just overwhelmed by this thing, right? Because, again, remember, Peter didn't take Gentiles with him. He took Jews with him. It's not just Peter who's becoming unclean at this moment, but there's a group of Jews who are becoming unclean at this moment. They're trusting that God is working through Peter. Isn't that kind of cool? And so they're going into this pagan's house, becoming unclean, right? And so they're amazed because they see that the Holy Spirit's falling upon them. They're speaking with tongues, just in the same way as it happened in Acts 2. What happened in Acts 2? They spoke with other languages. That's what I think happened in, in Acts 10. I, I just, it's pretty simple. He goes back. Is it just like it happened to us? It happened here. So I think the tongues that they spoke were different languages, okay? That they spoke were foreign languages, and they praised God in it. And so the Jews understood it. The Jews got it. They understand that, wow, what can we do? And so what prohibits them from being immersed? Nothing. They receive the Holy Spirit. So what do they do? This group of Jews baptizes, immerses a group of Gentiles. Jerusalem and all Judea to Samaria to the Gentiles. And, and by whom was it done? Peter and other Jews, right? So all this glorying and praising going on, right? And you would think, listen, this is you. You're in the moment. This is exciting stuff. People are getting saved, right? Wow, boom, pow. And you can't wait to go home and what? And share it with everybody because they're, they're going to be excited and all this kind of stuff. And this is why chapter 11, verses 1 to 18 is included here, right? Because when they get there, not so much. It includes the apostles who were there. Do you read that? Do you read it? it this isn't just commoner Jews. This is even the other apostles. The first thing they get is, you went into a house of a Gentile? I mean, I'm telling you, there were dozens of people saved. You went in with those unclean people? Come on, don't put your hand up. But in your, in your heart, put your hand up. How many times do we do that? Rather than rejoicing with somebody in something, we hear the negative of it. And we're, ah! Peter then explains what happened. He gives an explanation. Says, I had this vision. He had this vision. I went. As, we were talk- as I was talking, Holy Spirit came upon them. And now he's got all these other Jews, right, that were there. And they what? They saw it too, right? So, so everybody hears it. And now everybody says what? Well, 
Okay, then. <laughs> and they rejoice. So in, in the end, they submit, but they also rejoice in it. Okay? And so it's a struggle for me. Because, again, there's those groups, right, that you struggle with. Uh, oh, Lord, do I have to really? Yes, I have to. Okay? And I want to be able to accept all of them. And so in the end, how are you in responding to the voice of God? I don't hear it. Okay? That's a possibility. Even as a believer, you've never heard the voice of God. But I believe that it doesn't have to be the audible voice, but I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. And he's going to speak to you. Whether So my question would be, are you really reading his word? And are you praying? Okay? But how do you respond? Cornelius and Peter responded immediately. So I'm going to assume for a moment, if you're a believer, that somewhere along the line, you've, held the pro- you've gotten the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And you had to make a decision whether you're going to listen to it or not. How are you responding to the message of God? You hear God's word, or you read God's word, and you see the message. How are you responding? First of all and foremost, are you truly saved? Have you listened to the message of salvation that's in his word? And have you responded to it? It's between you and the judge of the living and dead when you die. It, it's not to me, it's not to anybody else here, it's not to your wife, it's not to your husband, it's not to your kids, it's not to your mom and dad, it's not to your grandma, it's not to your grandpa. Make sense? It's between you and God. That's where it plays out. Have you accepted the sacrifice and lordship of Christ in your life? That's a big deal. Okay? Is he the one who guides and directs you? Like Peter was willing to be guided and directed. Like Cornelius was willing to be guided and directed. How are you responding to the kingdom of God. Is there any prejudice and partiality in you? We went through Ephesians, and we talked about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's above all, through you all, in you all. We sang this morning, Him of heaven, right? And there I'm going to be with, the, all the, with one voice, a thousand generations, right? Do you get it? There's going to be people there that... that you on the earth, you, uh, you, you would cringe at. But they're your brothers and sisters. And they're children of God. They're made in his image and likeness. He loves them. He's dying for them. How do you respond when people that you don't particularly like are blessed or come to know Christ? It's something really to think about. It's a struggle. Okay? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for using Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm one of them. And I'm grateful, Lord, that you, you loved me, one of the nations, and that you made the plan for me to be your child, and that you sent your messengers into my life to proclaim your truth to me. Lord, help me to be faithful to be as Peter, to be as Philip, to be as Stephen, to be bold to proclaim your message. Truly, there are thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in this world who need to know you, who need to know you. They don't just need to be reformed. They need to know the God who loves them. So, Lord, help me. Help us as an assembly to be faithful, to proclaim your message, to believe that you are able to do what you have proclaimed you will do.
for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.